episode of Absolute AppSec. I'm Ken Johnson at CK Tricky on Twitter, joined by my co-host Seth Law at Seth Law on Twitter. Seth, say hi. Hey, everybody. Welcome once again. We're back for the week. Uh, it feels like Ken and I have recorded a whole bunch of podcasts this last week, um, but we're super happy to be back on Absolute AppSec this week with Andrew Wilson. Um, we're going to talk about all the security things and Cactus Con and everything that Andrew's doing. I'm excited to have him on the show for the first time. Um, but other than that, uh, we'll post out some of the links to stuff that we've done. We'll talk about here shortly. Ken and I will be in D.C. next week for Global AppSec D.C. We'll be teaching our secure code review course. Um, and then two weeks after that, we're going to be in Amsterdam teaching the same thing. So if you can make it to either of those, there are still a couple of seats left. Um, for DC, if you're going to be out there this week or next week, um, please consider us. It's a you know, it's exactly what we did last week on the secure developer, but actually with enough time to dig in and actually learn how to do secure code reviews. So um, Ken posted the link for the Purple Squad Sec podcast, and this is interesting. So every question that we ask from now on, we're going to roll a D20 to decide if you know it's a good question or a bad question. I guess Ken, right? Is that how it works? <laughs> Yeah, I think it's something like that. Like, what, what's a, what's going to be a juicy question? And what's yeah that that was my first time playing pseudo playing Dungeons and Dragons. Dungeons so and Dragons. it's interesting. Yeah, if you've never heard Purple Squad Sec podcast, um, John does a pretty interesting job. Like, he comes up with a scenario and then is asking. So he asks us questions about how we would respond in that scenario. What would we do as security engineers or application security people, how we would respond to incidents and, and things of that nature. And then you roll the dice depending, and that determines how people respond or how the other characters in the in the scenario respond. So it was interesting. I think Ken only killed two people. I think that was, yeah. No, no, no. I want to say Tyler was cool, but Tony wasn't. Tony, Tony died. Yeah. Well, Tony was in China, so there you go. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know... Like I said, Tony knew the risks. When he, yeah. You know, there. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, it was a good time. We did two podcasts last week. I put both the links up there. Um, yeah, the other one was this Secure Developer podcast. That one we actually walked through the code review um, process. And, well, we tried to. In an hour, we just can't get through a lot, right? There's so much to performing a code review that we at least talked about what we do. But didn't get into it in depth, so yeah, I don't know. It's weird. It's good. Yeah, it was weird. But I think that that one will be a good resource for people to call back to if they've never done code reviews and actually looking at the content that we have. So um, if you if you're interested in that sort of thing, take a look at it. It is it is a summarized kind of version of the course. Um, we we put all this out there because we want people to learn how to do it. So, for sure. Anyway, so I, like I've been talking a lot. Um, Ken, is there anything else that you can think of off the top of your head right now? And can... uh, no, I was going to mention that. Um, uh, well, so I was going to give a brief background on Andrew before we started our discussion that we were talking about before okay. we went live. Um, and so th this is really interesting. This is going to be a really interesting one. So uh, I've known Andrew for a long, long time. I mean, probably almost a decade. I would say almost a decade now. I, I I believe um, Andrew's out in uh, based out of Phoenix. He he is the VP of consultant consulting at uh, Bishop Fox, um, and and his journey is interesting because he definitely like worked hard to get to where he's at, and you know he's 
he's done a lot at uh, Bishop Fox, and so we'll we'll definitely ask him questions specifically about like running a consultancy and you know just sort of the, the things to think about from a as a as a client of a consultancy and you know a lot of different things we'll get into with that. Um, he is one of the organizers. I know Andrew was mentioning that he's 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 involved, but he's trying to get a little less day to day ops wise with Cactus Con. But he um, is the organizer of Cactus Con along with his wife, um, which is out in Phoenix in December sixth and seventh. And I highly recommend. And it was the first place I ever got to solder a uh, badge. Um, so that was like I'm highly grateful for that experience. It was fantastic. Um, Seth and I love to go to CactusCon. You should love to go to CactusCon. It's a great one. Yeah. Um, and I think at one point, Andrew, you were leading the Phoenix OWASP chapter at one point, but I don't think anymore, right? I did, yeah. I ran the uh, Phoenix OWASP chapter for, I want to say, three or four years. Um, and then it transitioned out to um, uh, one of my guys uh, that I was working with at the time more like full-time. And then we found another person that's run by Joaquin Fuentes, I believe, is his last name right now. So, ah, Seth, you're friends with Joaquin. Yeah, yeah, I know Joaquin from early warning days. So. I got to meet him in Vegas. It's nice. Right. Yep. Yep. Really nice guy. Yeah. Yeah. So, that's kind of Andrew's background. I mean, you and Andrew had like a long history of programming before that. We're going to get into his origin story, but before we get there, I think I want to just continue the conversation. So the conversation before we jumped on was about like OWASP and specifically we were talking about the OWASP top 10 and how at one point it was completely unscientific, right? And unfortunately it was being used, it has been used as a like a standard, a compliance standard. Um, even though that's, you know, been a back and forth of like whether it should be or shouldn't be a compliance standard for better or for worse, it's been used that way um, for sure. Uh, PCI is a good example. You know, if you look through a lot of the, did you get an assessment? Okay. Did they check for these things? Did you get training? Okay. Did they train you on these things? Yeah. That's about the, that's the OWASP top 10 standard that we're talking about. So we wanted, you know, as a community that we wanted that to be more scientific, totally wasn't. There was a lot of drama. We don't need to get into that around, um, I, I don't the last iteration that went out, but it was completely scrapped. And, you know, we were talking about like sort of how Brian Glass stepped in there. Um, he had written some blog posts when the, the first drafts of the standard came out and was like, here's exactly why this is unscientific. Uh, uh, these stats don't, you know, these aren't like good stats. These aren't good metrics. Let's build something better and went ahead and, and, uh, and did that. So that's sort of the background of the conversation. Uh, uh, as a recap, but um, yeah, continuing that, continuing down that path. I mean, that has been. I'm sure you guys feel the same way. My experience with it is that it's just been sort of like, yeah, this feels like we see this a lot. So now it's going to be on the list from whoever is building the list. Yeah, yeah, if it, it it does. Like, I I totally agree with what Andrew's saying. Like the the, the initial iterations, especially, was it is it felt more like a consultant, right, sat down or a couple of consultants sat down and were like, huh, well, I'm seeing a lot of this. So it must be a huge issue, right? Um, and so like, not to say that there weren't some of those problems that were in there, like the injection vulnerabilities and things like that, especially during those initial iterations that were huge problems. And it did drive some, uh, some remediation and mitigation around those. 
but I don't think there was anything ever real scientific. It was only like two or three orgs that even got together for those calls initially, right? I mean, if you look at their website, uh, I was pointed up as we were talking, like the 2017 one says it represents broad consensus about the most critical security risks to web applications, right? But like, just because you got a bunch of people agreeing on a thing doesn't necessarily mean there's any science to back. That's what clients should be doing to fix applications, right? Like the frequency in which it shows up, the cost of which it takes to fix it, the hazard pertains to does this help me actually protect the overall application and like, how do you tie it back to it? It's a tall order, but one that's driving so much effort and energy in the industry to try to fix these problems can't be more than just, we got in a room and we talked about it and we said, Hey, we all like, we all like these things, right? I mean, it can't yeah. be simple. So, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and to be right. fair, right, like their their forward or whatever for the 2017, their table of contents um, or whatever it is, right? Like they actually caught like the OWASP application security verification standard as, hey, you know, if you want a true standard, this is what you should be using. I think part of the problem is people just latched onto the top 10 as, and you even hear people refer to it as like the top 10 vulnerabilities. And you're like, no, that's not how it's supposed to be represented, but that's how everyone's picked it up, right? As, hey, these are like the most common vulnerabilities that we see out there, but it, that that's just it. It's it's what we see. Like th there's so much bias that goes into the vulnerability list um, that I don't, like, I don't know how to fix it. I, I mean, I know Brian, like talking to Brian Glass and the other, you know, guys that are on that, they, they were trying to get a better like a true data set of vulnerabilities from both industry, like consulting and um, like companies, but a lot of companies just won't give that data up. I think they got more in 2017, but it's still been a couple of years since they've actually gotten a lot of information or a lot of data around that, or even like relevant data. That's, the, that's my question, but I know we can go look at it. Um, isn't it still hosted out there somewhere, Ken? Have you seen it lately? Um, it, maybe I haven't looked recently. Um, Andrew, I was going to mention, we're getting a little bit of feedback on your mic at times. So I'm just going to mention that. Okay. Is that better now? I mean, yeah, I mean, regardless, like, uh, I, you know, I'm not sure I, I'm not sure how I feel about the OWASP top 10 being used as a standard and, you know, regardless it's, um, yeah, I'm not sure that I, I think that it should be used as a standard. Um, yeah, I would I would probably lean towards not. It, it shouldn't be used as a standard. And like there's reasons why contextually it may not make sense for your, those may not be the things you're focused on for your organization. Um, they're not, it's certainly not, it's just 10 things. It's certainly not a large list of, of items, although something like injection can cover a pretty broad category of injection. It is somewhere to start and it is like a minimum and that's sort of what a lot of compliance is, is minimum standards, but, or it's about minimum, minimum level, meeting a minimum level of standards. But like, I just think that there are so many categories of vulnerabilities out there, so many issues. Um, I'd rather see things like, you know, an organization must have a CSP, for example, rather than like, you should input that, you know, validate input and, or whatever the, the normal, validate input and contextually output and code content. Yeah, I'd like to see different things than, than that, that, you know, employ modern 
secure design. I don't know what you guys think. Um, if you feel that's something that should be used as a standard or if there's, you know, should be something a bit broader. Yeah, I, I always hesitate with standards. I think OWASP as, as like a come here, get, get to know the security industry. Here's some general problems you should care about. This is stuff that uh, represents topically a series of concerns. I don't, I don't have actually really a problem with that, right? But the moment you're driving decisions on how to fix applications and what you value, it becomes more complicated, right? In a lot of different ways. And I think it represents the problem that I have. I know we're, I guess we're talk about business and stuff later, but you know, how do you avoid the same thing in any organization, right? I employ a lot of pen testers and I wanna make sure that both from a customer experience perspective, it's consistent, but I can't have consistency at the price of like homogeneity, right? I don't want everybody doing the same things. I want them to be looking at different aspects of uh, what they have as their background, what they're seeing in applications. I want them to be pushing on what the industry and beyond is looking at in order to bring it back into stuff. And if you, you have a reward system which says, these are the 10 things I care about, then it's very difficult to think outside of that space. Um, and it becomes really like, we just have a checklist and whether or not that, that changes anything, uh, who knows, right? Who knows if it actually provides a great value. And, and that's the difficulty, right? Like, what? how would you tie it back, right? So if you have 10 things and you say these are 10 things that people should do and because, right, because if you look at breach reports, if you look at incidents, if you look at stuff that's happening and trending on the uh, sort of market, I guess, today, how does this tie back to it? Well, if people were effective at fixing things like broken authentication, you would expect less broken authentication on the market, right? So how do you then prove that by doing the top 10, you've actually reduced the overall net amount of breaches that occur because of it. Like there, what's the metric for that? Like it's insanely complicated to put in a series of controls that say like, well, we know that it's effective if you do X, Y, and Z and you tie it back to it, which is what makes us think this is what you ought to be doing to protect these systems, right? Like the, the science and the math and as you, you play this out becomes actually very complicated to create a study um, that ties back to relevance, right? It ties back to something that people should care about. So, yeah, I don't know. I like I go back to you know, the the discussion that Canon have on um, assessments and like what we do on secure code reviews, right? Like the the whole every app is different, and the threats and the risks are different for that application depending on the business vertical that it's in, depending on the audience. So it's very difficult to say. Hey, guess what? In this application, you know, server-side request forgery is the thing, and you're like, well, you know, it's it's not cloud-hosted. Like, there's there's other things that go into that, and so it, you can't necessarily push that into top ten for that uh, for that application or for that code base, and so it it becomes very contextual. And that, again, what you're saying, I I think what you're trying to say or what you're saying, um, Andrew, is that we can't like having a firm list like that actually limits our creativity and actually exploiting or looking for vulnerabilities. I think that's what you're saying, right? Yeah. I don't like tying arms behind my back. I, I go a step further and say that like, you know, for me when I was a pen tester, like in the field doing it and even to the degree that I can kind of encourage it now, I'm not interested in vulnerabilities as much as I'm interested in value and what 
what that's going to produce at the end of the day. Right. And I think of a pen test as being very like targeted in terms of I have a series of goals and my vulnerabilities that I'm looking at are the tools in which I'm trying to accomplish it. Right. And for every application, that's going to be something different. It may not even be a vulnerability at all. It could be a design feature of how they put the application together. That's going to enable me to get access to it. And so I, I think that I think that when you start saying like you have to do X, Y and Z, for every engagement as a standard, it becomes, I don't know, very, very limited and very limiting in terms of the flexibility to allow you to accomplish those goals, even though there might be a, a plethora of other ways to go about it that are equally valid. Um, that's not represented at all. That's not represented at all, right? Yeah. I know in consulting, that's always been sort of a, you know, mo moving the conversation towards towards that really is, is like uh, consulting, there is this, we, we, Seth, you and I, we went through this where it was like, we, there, we, there are certain things we want to make sure that we cover. Like, um, for example, you should absolutely read the report of the last person that did an assessment on this app, right? Like, that's a standard thing you should be doing and going to, to look at what, you know, make sure that things were fixed. And if they weren't, that you've called that out. Um, so that's definitely... And then, of course, you know, there are certain things you're supposed to look at from a session handling, authentication, et cetera, standpoint. But you're right in that it so it's it's this weird balance where you want to find you want to make sure that it's the same as like not to distill it down to like, you know, a simple a, a simple thing. But like when you go to to J J Jiffy Lube, for instance, you know, they've got a checklist of things that they must do on your car and they check off. If they actually did that. They, they checked your fluids. They checked whatever. Like it's not I don't I don't personally think it's a bad idea to have like, you know, checked it. I looked at the session handling. I looked at the, you know, authentication. I looked at the forgot password function. I looked at this, that and the other. I don't think that's a terrible idea, but I do think that if you if that's all you do, then yeah, that becomes an issue. I think that there's a space after you've covered your initial basis for creativity and going deeper and like looking for something that's really interesting. You know, maybe you made a note during your assessment that like this thing piqued my interest and I want to go back and take a look at it first. I'm covering my basis. You know, I don't think that's a terrible thing to do, but if that's all you do is follow a checklist, then yeah, you're, you're not going to be a happy pen tester. Good luck retaining people. I think. Um, if you make them a robot. It's interesting, I, I kind of go the opposite way, right? And this is what I've been trying to start coaching people on, which is I think that on a pen test, I'm looking for positional advantage first and then everything else secondarily, right? Because certain categories of vulnerabilities are much easier to find and identify if you can find yourself in the position to actually go get it, right? And so the last couple of talks that I've ever given on were really the importance of why you should always try to breach the web server first and foremost, right? If I have source code, that's great. I, that's even better, right? Because then I don't have to go back and play this 20 questions game of how did they get written? What do they do? Reverse engineering idea sets and things of that sort, which is all insanely valuable skill sets to have that are very useful. But the only reason I care about those things is because I want visibility, right? I want visibility first and foremost. And until I have the visibility and the positional advantage to get to the things that I want, it doesn't actually make sense to try to like cover a category of vulnerabilities with sort of one eye tied, you know, behind my back or, you know, I can't, I can't see what's going on. And so I, I really think that for me, right, my approach has leaned far more towards 
why not you just break in and try to steal everything first and then and then document all the problems afterwards and go the other route, right? And if you've disciplined yourself to get really good at a handful of things, I think the probability of that happening is significantly higher than people want to give it sort of credence for. I think a lot of people try to cover so much, you know, vulnerabilities against an application that like, well, yes, it does produce like a really nice report that says, hey, you've got X, Y, and Z problems. You know, at the end of the day, I think people want to know what those problems are costing them and why they have to fix it, right? And the faster I can get to the answer to that, then I can go back and document it, right? Like SQL injection, in my opinion, is far easier to find if you have source code, right? You can just look at how the whole data access tier was created and how data is transferred within the application and it's greppable, right? It's like queryable data that you can then get a very comprehensive picture of, right? Um, but if you're trying to look at it on the other end and you're on the outside trying to break in without source code, the mechanisms and methodologies is sort of laborious, right? So like, why, why start there? Why not go after things that have super high probability of relating towards a full takeover, like credentials to administrator accounts or insecure file uploads, which are probably the two simplest ways to take over an application because what does an admin typically get to do that nobody else does? They probably get to upload files, right? So if I can take these routes as ways to get onto the server, then pull the source code and then go look at SQL injection, that's how I prefer to do my job. That's how I prefer to go after stuff because it makes me more effective with the time that I've got. Mm-hmm. I, I do feel like that's the difference between a pen test and an assessment, though, is that the terminology to this day still gets mes- met, mixed up. Where uh, an assessment, if I'm paying you to be, if I'm paying you to be holistic, I'm paying you to be holistic. I'm paying you to make sure that, like, you know, you've covered all of the the bases that I. At least that's how our our clients, you know, took that. Now, a pen test, on the other hand, has a different goal entirely, right? I mean, you're not trying to find everything you're trying to find the highest like you said the highest likelihood of where you can you can break in and if you were able to exploit like sql injection or some ssrf rce combo and and great if you miss basic idor in the in the in the path to 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 exploiting that and proving that you're doing a break in and you miss a simple idor on like i don't know an account change or something like that you know Again, if it's an assessment, I'm going to be less than than thrilled about that. If it's a pen test, yeah, I was just asking you to find a way to break in. So I do think there is like some clarification on like just that terminology. I don't know if you're, do you still come across that with uh, that confusion with clients? Andrew, is that still something that, because I mean, I haven't done consulting in a few years now. No, we pretty much exclusively deal with with assessments from uh, more of a pen testing approach, value-based or goal-tested, right? That's typically what we go after. I go back another step and say, I don't know if I even agree with that assessment, right? Which is like, if you're giving me two weeks to look at something that developers wrote in six months, right? The chances that I'm going to find everything that's wrong with it, whether it's a scan of services or an actual pen test is very low in the first place, right? And I no, no, no. I, let me just pause there. No, I agree with that completely. I shouldn't have said I misspoke. I don't mean everything. What I mean that that's a total yeah. What I mean is, and we talk about this in our source code review class. Actually, it's like the highest risk um, type vulnerabilities. 
trying to be as thorough as possible with the, with the knowledge that, yeah, obviously that you can't cover everything if it's like a huge app and you've got a week or two, right? There are limitations. So sorry, I just wanted to preface like that with that. I think there's a lot of like parallels in what we do to go in to see your doctor, right? Like, I don't think that, you know, I think it's a great space because there's a lot of analogies that sort of play out well, right? And if you go to your doctor for like a general checkup and he gives you kind of a list of things and he's like, look, you know, your blood works a little high, blah, blah, blah. And he goes through this, this big thing. And then at the end of it, he reveals that like, you've got some, curable but super serious disease right like wouldn't you want him to have led with that right first right <laughs> like at the end of the day that's what that's what we're trying to accomplish is what's wrong right what's wrong and what do you need to do about it right that's really what i hope the objective is of every pen test based off of you know data that we understand from you know what's happening in the current markets of adversaries like how are they going after systems how do we use that to inform what we're doing but at the end of the day I think that's the thing that people want to know is what's wrong and how do I fix it? How do I get to a point where I can I can address that? And I argue that a list of vulnerabilities still becomes problematic. If I give you a list and a report and say, look, you got 20 things, you still then have to go through the process of teaching people what of that matters in the first place. And that's hard to do if you can't differentiate in terms of like why this vulnerability is more important than this one and how you're going after it and what people are using it for and how it enabled you to get access to a lot of things. Um, because that's that's the stuff of impact, right? Like I found SQL injection on engagements that I put as an informational finding on a report, right? Like it made no sense, it was not important. It was like, you'd have to be on the box writing something to attack a configuration file that had a SQL statement in it and it's like, at that point, so what? Who cares, right? Like, there's so many other things that had to go wrong first. You should know about it. I'm not saying you shouldn't know about those things. Um, but this is this is it. Time is limited and finite, and you have to prioritize somewhere on engagements. And that's why I think value-based pen testing, goal-based pen testing is far more substantially beneficial to everybody because it's proof. It's, it's absolute, like, this is what I can do with problems that you have. And this is the implication that you're going to need to understand in order to fix it and stop people from doing that to you. And I don't think yeah. you get that with like a collection of you got 10 things wrong with you. Right. I Here's know, your list. I don't know if we mentioned it before on this podcast, but like that's one thing that um, we've started doing is for our, so for GitHub, when we do, when we have pen tests done is we, we scope it down to like a specific, instead of saying just attack the entire application, it's like attack a specific part. Um, like single sign-on or something like that, and then scope it down to, so so sorry, scoping it down to that, but then also saying like, here are the things that we're actually interested in. And it's, it kind of falls along that line of like, it's narrowly scoped with a specific objective. And I do think that's like a way more reasonable thing to say than like, here's this massive code base. You know, even if we paid you f for four weeks, which nobody's doing that, right? Like most people are not doing that. Even if we paid you for a month, right? Or even six weeks, what is the likelihood you're getting, you're going to find everything? It's still pretty low, right? Right. I mean, realistically. I, so I go back and I'd argue a little bit that every type of test has pros and cons. And I don't necessarily want to like say that, you know, you're doing it wrong. That's not the point. But I think that sometimes by narrowing scope, you lose the opportunity to gain perspective, right? 
Like the last time I gave a talk as an example about breaching stuff and vulnerabilities, the question comes up about things like cross-site scripting or user-based attacks. And clearly they like matter on one hand, but as a pen tester, they're essentially useless. Like I don't even care for it. I don't even waste my time on it, right? Because you're not gonna let me go after your production users. You're not gonna let me go come up with custom attack things to go after people who are live using your accounts. Does that mean it's not possible? Does that mean it's not you know appropriate? Does that mean it's something that you shouldn't care about? Absolutely, you should care about those things. It's just out of scope for my engagement and it's not necessarily something that's easy to drive value with otherwise, right? And would you still report it if you found it? Absolutely. Well, no, no, I'm going to find it. That's that's not my point. It's just not a thing I'm going to prioritize, right? Uh, I think see. that I think that there are things that you do with it. And this is the difficulty of scoping, right? Because the implication of a single sign-on system is not necessarily just in the app itself, but it's with all the things the app connects to and how they understand and receive it and scope it and work with it and operate. And if you pull that scope out, you you basically kill the the ecosystem, right? It's like when you when you have a zoo and you take an animal out and you try to recreate it somewhere else. Like to the best that you can do that, that's not that's not reality, right? That's not the economy or the ecosystem that they live in. And it's the same with scoping stuff. If you scope it in a fashion that it's aberrant to how it would actually be leveraged and used, I think you limit your ability to understand what's really wrong with it because you've taken so much out of the case, right? I'll give you a different example, right? Like we did for a season. Um, API pen testing and API pen testing is something that I, I both love and hate, right? Because if you think about it, I'm like going after the services, but a lot of the implications of how the service is written is not actually in the server that's receiving it. It's in the people that's communicating with the server and the API after the fact, right? And so I would always write people up because very commonly they don't do any sort of encoding of HTML or any of those things because it doesn't attack the service. It's not a service attack. But I guarantee half of the applications that are going to consume that service have some expectation of reliability of the data that's going to come back out. And absolutely, you should do something about it. And I would put it in there and people would say, so what? Like, I, there's no proof of it. You know, we don't have any clients for you to validate it. So like, it's a low risk. It's not a big deal until you think about all the second order injection attacks and all the other stuff that's happening. You know, currently, it's trending as provable as problems that they have to deal with. Um, they didn't take the time to consider it because the visibility and the scope of the application was so limited that the ecosystem is not relevant to reality. Does that make sense? It's, not, it's so like apart from how someone would actually use it that you lose that context. I think it, I think, I think I kind of understand what you're saying. You know, it's, it's also one of those things. So like, for instance, I can give you a concrete example with a single sign on something I'd seen, not, not on .com, not on github.com, but something I'd seen in, we'll say in the last couple of years, which was a, a system that used, um, it had OAuth, but you know, it also had this templating language in use that nobody had seen before and an undocumented um, raw bit. Uh, like it's basically like, putting raw data into um, the template with this function. But again, this function, it wasn't documented that that that's what it did. So what it led to was XSS that was able to effectively, you know, steal user codes to be exchanged for tokens later. Right. So it's, if, if you're focusing straight just on the OAuth piece, probably would miss that. 
Um, definitely would miss that. Uh, and it does absolutely play a part. There were a couple things with OAuth that could have been tuned up, though, to, to also prohibit uh, that theft of those tokens, but uh, or those codes to be exchanged for tokens. But yeah, I mean, I see your point. It, it, it does, and this comes down to I think where we can go next, which is talking to your clients and doing proper scoping and understanding what they really want, which is a hard thing to do. I mean, if you've ever done consulting and sat on phone calls with customers, it's very weird because sometimes you'll get, I don't know if you come across this at, at all, Andrew, but sometimes we would get, you'd have like a product manager, uh, lead dev, maybe, you know, I don't know, uh, somebody, somebody from the business side, we'll say business being like an exec or something like that maybe the security manager or whatever. And it, it would always feel like there were separate goals or not always, sorry. Often it would feel like there were separate goals from each of those individuals. And, you know, I don't know if you ever come across those kind of challenges or if there's other challenges. I mean, I, I think another challenge that, you know, people face is the Q4 rush, right? Is that like, we have to spend our end of year budget. And again, it's like you have three other quarters where you could get a better deal. Um, just typical consulting problems, I guess, that you come across. Yeah, uh, I think to answer the first one and address it, absolutely, right? Competing priorities, goals, the more the client is clear on what they want, the easier, of course, it is to deliver on it, right? But I think that, you know, the way that we've tried to address that is we work with people to understand kind of all the topical goals, what they would like to do, understand the application, how big, small it is, things of this sort, like what is it? that we're looking at. And then in context to those goals, we basically provide them options back and say, look, if you want us to do three of these goals, this is what it's gonna look like. If you want us to do all of these goals, this is what it's gonna look like. Based on everything you said, I think very reasonably we could do most of this, if not all of this within this time frame, and we help scope the application that way, right? This is why I think goal-based pen testing is much easier in a lot of ways. Uh, because it produces that value, I can I can tie it back to concrete objectives, and I can say, look, it, you know, you can if you want all of it, right? It's going to be a lot, right? If you want half of it, if you want these things, or if I can pare it down into a handful of topical areas that maybe are similar, and then counter propose that back, I think those things kind of go back and forth in this collaboration to figure out how to define that in the best possible way, right? Um, I think that's the first piece. The second piece is that we always have someone technical with our clients to talk through it and understand it and make sure that we're actually like on the same page as how it's working. It's a very collaborative process to make sure that they understand what we're going to do and how we're going to do it and what we're going to go after. Why? In the same way that's going to help them understand those objectives, which is why you need to be collaborative with it. You know, the questions are going to reveal which of those goals are, are important to them and then cost is going to define which ones are most important to them. I think really is is that that piece, you know. Um, and then in terms cost of have a good way of whittling that down. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then you had another question about um, stuff we run into, yeah, like scheduling, because I, this is something that always bothered the shit out of me. Was people who would schedule for Q4 every year, like reoccurring customers, and it's like I you would tell them every year, like, hey, I mean. Q1, Q2, especially Q2, like beginning, we'll say like May, June timeframe, like you, that's a great time 
to get your pen testing or your assessments or your training or whatever you it is because you can negotiate you could with us negotiate a better rate i'm not saying that's like that everywhere but waiting until q4 is just like it's a it's a it's a bad idea this is to, to say it just, yeah you, i mean I you're never going to change i know no no but you're like after like I'm pretty cynical when it comes to that because you're just not going to change that behavior, right? So even yeah. if you do get, if you do convince one client that that's the best idea, that they will, you know, you may be able to get one or two that jump on board with that. But I, like it, it all depends on that budget cycle for that that company and where their focus is. I, I mean, like they they get towards the end of the year and they're like, hey, we have to do this yearly, and we've always done it in Q4 because that's when we've had the money they're always going to do it in Q4, right? Like, and it, and it sucks from a, you know, a capacity perspective. I, I mean, do you guys run into that at Bishop Fox? Yeah, it's always a, a problem. I don't understand the mad science and art of scheduling and resourcing. I try to avoid it. They have a poster up that says it's like Tetris, except everything's on fire. And uh, I believe <laughs> I, think they're, I think they're right. Um, you know, I think some of it, you know, for us, it's, it's weird, right? Um, one, I agree with Seth. That's not going to go away. You know, you can't, you can't force people to, to do it in, in a different way. You can just educate them, right, and hope that by providing the right incentives uh, in terms of why they would want to do something differently, that they take it up. You know, our company is very relational in the sense that we talk frequently with our clients throughout the year, and we try to understand what they're using the pen test for and why they would be doing it. And to the degree we can kind of get in front of it, that's really been our approach, right? Um, but it's not a perfect science, right? It's not It's not something that we can ultimately control. You just have to accept it and plan for it and schedule around it and try to make the best of what we can do with it, right? So, yeah, it doesn't go away. Yeah, yeah it doesn't. I know, but I can complain about it. <laughs> I was curious if there are any services that have you've, – you've seen change from – Cause you've been doing, you know, we didn't really talk about it much yet, but you, you've been in the consulting realm for quite a long time now. And you've, so you've watched as services have evolved and changed. And I know I'll just, as an example, I know like, again, going back to when Seth and I were consulting or well, Seth still is, but when he, when we were consulting together a couple of years ago, um, like one that one that grew was doing like cloud security assessments or audits, um, that just wasn't something that an AppSec firm did before. Uh, I'm curious if, you know, existing services have changed or if you've seen a demand for new services um, as well as like has bug bounty, you know, changed how you do bug bounty programs changed, you know, um, how, how you do, how you do business and yeah, just anything that's changed really. I'd be interested. I think that's a, yeah. Sure. Well, I mean, uh, I think the good news is in, in the 10 years I've, I've done this now professionally, I can say that really the core issues are still the core issues. I say that the vast majority of work that comes through is either going to be web or network-based assessments pretty much across the board. Um, and I think that makes sense, right? People are doing business and commerce on the line all the time. And uh, people have this presence and these threats and risks associated to it. And so I think it makes sense that those have kind of retained their uh, seats on the throne in terms of services that people typically want to go after. 
Um, I think that there was a season in which mobile application became really kind of the hot thing where everybody wanted to create their apps and be on the app store and, you know, have their own like widget. And it sort of peaked for a little while, but in all reality, it's not much different than an actual application pen test. And I think when people realized that it sort of kind of became uh, a part of that offering and kind of grew back into it. And so I'd say we still see it. It's not that it's gone away. It's just definitely not necessarily as, deep dive as comprehensive and whatnot as people have gone. And I think some of that might be as the platforms have evolved and changed um, aspects of that security pieces have been uh, fixed a little bit. Um, but I think for, for the most part, like that's one that's sort of come and not necessarily gone, but it's definitely died down. Um, Internet of Things is a, a, a seasonal thing that's kind of popped up. People all got real hot and heavy. Like, like if you're installing your smart refrigerator into my network, what are the implications of that? Right. Um, those become uh, very interesting, but I think they've sort of found more of a home as like an expectation of being assessed as a part of, let's say, an internal pen test, right? Where if I'm on an internal pen test and I see your home fridge connected to it and I can break in, then I think people care about that problem more than is this thing super safe and super secure and let's go do an assessment on it before it gets put in. Um, I think a lot more has emerged in product review. However, I should say that which I would differentiate from IoT in the, in the, but it's, it's similar, right? As people are creating more like suites of uh, things like hardware devices that have, again, their own ecosystem, I think it's very smart for companies to take a look at how does that whole thing play in and play out, not just for a PR perspective, but even just the security of their customers. I think a lot more people are taking that, that problem far more seriously lately. And so like that's, that's been, so how do you, how do you differentiate that then? Right. Cause like what you're saying as far as product there really does sound like internet of things, but targeted towards business. Right. So what is your differentiation with that? I differentiated and I feel like IOT was uh, devices that had tech slapped onto it as opposed to devices that were intended to be connected to systems in the first place. Right. Okay. People actually building stuff that's going to go out for the purpose of being on your network or connecting to stuff and talking to things. Like I did an assessment uh, a long time ago for like a digital sign software suite, right? And that's intended to be connected on the network. It's intended to be like, if you're at a baseball game and I wanna go flip to my advertisement, I want all my TVs to switch at once, right? That was designed to be on a connected system where you know your light bulb had tech slapped on top of it. And that's where I would differentiate between those two. Okay. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I, yeah I'm trying to think what else, like from an offering perspective. So it sounds like, like we've already kind of talked about the assessment, like you've kind of, like the, the goal-based assessment seems to be something that you guys have focused on um, as, as offerings that have changed that way. Like what else has kind of changed from your perspective in the last 10 years? Um, as a consultant, not necessarily the assessments that you do that are coming in, but as a consultant? Uh, I, you know, I think that the minimum bar of acceptability has changed a lot, right? One of the things I tell people all the time is that, like, again, going back to my doctor perspective, you don't, you don't go to your doctor with the hope he knows what he's doing. You expect it. Right. That's not the differentiator anymore. Like yeah. if, you, if you had questions on whether or not your doctor could do the job, you wouldn't go to that doctor. I think it's that simple. Right. And some of the key differentiators that make that experience more positive relate to the consultative aspect of things more than it has to do with the technical aspects of things. 
right? And we talk about like content and delivery a lot and more and more emphasis on the balance between those two things because, you know, I think we've all been there in spots where um, I always tell them the story like this. And I say like, I went to DEF CON a couple of years ago, a long time ago, and I went to the most interesting, boring talk I've ever been in in my whole life. Right? Like, topically, I loved it. I wanted to be in this talk, this talk so bad. Like it was such an interesting concept and idea to me. I was a new father and I was interested in things of like digital inheritance, what happens to the licenses I own and all of my things on these online service accounts. What happens if I die? Like, who gets it? Do, does anybody get it? Does my entire library of songs go away as opposed to being this interesting thing I could pass to my kids? Like I'm, I'm as invested of an audience member as you can get. And the, the talk was just, it was just bad. It was just so bad. It couldn't even be there. And like, to the point, like, as I left, the guy stopped the talk to apologize to me that I was leaving. Like he was like, it was like super awkward and weird. <laughs> wow. But like, I think on the flip side, you've been to talks where, um, and maybe that's a topic you already knew pretty well, but when somebody comes at it with like, a new energy or a new professionalism, even if you know like most of what they're saying, if not all of it, it's like still fun to be there. And you're still like, man, that's, yeah. that's a great talk. Like this guy did a great job of this topic. And I think that my, my experience with consulting has been that more people are expecting that than, than the other way around, right? The moniker of, you know, hackers being guys who sit in like their mom's closet or something and do stuff with masks is no longer acceptable because they need to understand like you're, what's going on and if you can't communicate and you can't do that in a way that's uh you know healthy or clear it, that drives the points home in terms of what they're getting out of it then then you're going to have problems and i think the expectation is that more that's one of the biggest changes i've seen the technology it's it's the same old problem honestly the tech hasn't changed much right and and i don't think it will honestly because people aren't in the business of trying to write security into everything. It's just not. People are in the business of creating value for consumers and the people who are going to purchase this software. And security is something that they will consider as a part of it um, to the degree in which the consumer demands it and the degree in which the consumer holds them accountable for it. But that's not, it's, I don't think that equation is going to go away anytime soon. I don't think that's going to change. Yeah, I mean, I'd have to agree. I, you know, I, I know this has come up a couple of times on the uh, on the podcast as we've talked to people, but the the soft skills are, you know, as important, if not more important, you know, from a consulting perspective or even internal to an org perspective, like those relationships that you have with people that actually get security built into products to, to interact with developers, to interact with management. If you don't have those soft skills, and aren't working on them, it's very difficult to actually get anything done or to do your job, right? Like th th that's what I've found over the, you know, over the last 15 years. Um, Cause I, I, like, I, I think about it, right? Like my first security job way back at Zions Bank, way back, you know, you know 15 some odd years ago. Um, and there were very technical people on that team that could not sit in a room and actually explain to anyone what was going on, right? There was always, always had to be like a level of buffer. And I wonder where they've ended up, right? Whether they've improved those skills um, because the industry demands it and people demand it, like the business needs to be able to understand and to talk to you. Otherwise it's not going to fix anything. Right. Um, so yeah, yeah, I can see that, right? Like 
I guess I will take a step back. I I said the tech hasn't changed, and I think that's still true. But one one thing that's changed, and it's it's sort of creeping its face in more and more lately, is I think that software engineering firms at the highest level are getting better at making security decisions for uh, developers as opposed to giving them options to sort of hang their uh, self on, right? Yeah. And I think Microsoft's a good example of people who have taken this uh, idea of coming up with secure by default. And then if you want to change the behavior, you can go change the behavior after a little bit more serious. Um, and you see that in the .NET framework. The .NET framework has taken like big strides, but so have a lot of other people. And so some of the more common misconfigurations or misconfig- you know, problems that people address are handled within the frameworks themselves, which make um, knowledge of the framework far more important if you're a pen tester, but um, it does create a slightly better, more secure application, and it makes certain aspects of testing much harder. So, yeah. so that's true. Yeah. That actually is true. That's absolutely true. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I'd go back to what you said. Like the technically, the vulnerabilities or the like the exploits don't necessarily change, but the the technology that actually is being used by developers to create applications has changed what we actually find, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and whether or not they, like, yeah, PHP and ASP back in the day, right? Like, it was just shoot yourself in the foot. You know, that was that was the way that developers worked with it. Um, yeah. So, I, I, I get what you're saying, right? Like, .NET, I, I know Jim Manico was, was always talking, well, you, you know, he went off about that when he was on the podcast as well, about how eventually there won't be any vulnerabilities because those engineering firms will fix everything. Um, and I don't think that's the case. Right? Yeah, but uh, you wishful know. thinking. Yeah, but, wishful thinking. Yeah, I like it. I like it. The optimism. Yeah. <laughs> well, because somebody's still got to implement it, right? And the devil's in the details. You know, we think of vulnerabilities very myoptically as like this technical thing, but that's that's again like if you're asking me how I break in versus the vulnerabilities that I use to get there, that's two different questions, right? In a lot of ways, and I think that what'll happen is that as technology providers like Microsoft and, and otherwise create better out-of-the-box, you know, decision-making for these developers, all it's going to do is change the places in which developers make those decisions wrong or poorly, right? And then you're going to be able to leverage that and use them against them, or you're going to look for more systematic framework-based issues that allow you to address everyone consistently, right? There's a, there's a pro and a con to it, right? You know, if everyone's doing it a particular way because XYZ firm said so, that's the default statement. If there is a problem in that framework on that default statement, then it also means every single person is vulnerable to that problem too, right? Yeah. Um, so there's pros and cons to it. I, I don't think vulnerabilities are going away. I don't think that's that's, that's not happening. So. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it feels optimistic, but it also feels... I, like, I don't want to say, well, yeah, oh, it's it's our podcast. You know, it feels a little bit naive as well, right, to assume that, like, Microsoft's going to fix everything for you or anybody hey, else. You don't talk about the mothership like that. <laughs> there we go. I mean, <laughs> GitHub, right? Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. like, or, or even, you know, Rails or whoever else, right? Like, you know, you're, you're trusting in someone, but then you have all the same problems that we've been talking about for the last, I don't know, six months, it seems like, the... the yeah, all the third-party software that you're depending upon that's written by some open-source developer, uh, and you're trusting that as well with the same level of trust that you give to Microsoft, and we see the problems that exist there because somebody else takes it over. So I'm feeling super attacked by you right now, Seth. <laughs> you should be. 
There's so many a, minutes. What about what about deprecation because of backwards compatibility? How do you address that? Right? How do you address interacting with non-products that fall in the same same line? And I think I think you're right. And not only is it you know naive to think, I think it actually creates I, I think it creates weakness in terms of flexing muscles, right? If they're not used to having to do certain aspects of security, then why would they expect other frameworks they might be consuming it from to have done X, Y, and Z work for them too? So I think I think it's gonna create it's going to change the shape of the chessboard, but I don't think it's going to change the game at all. I think it's just yeah. going to move the pieces around, right? That's how I think about it. As much, I'm a big Microsoft fan, so I'm I'm uh, with you, buddy. I I think they do the best. Honestly, they put more money and time and energy and effort into it than basically anyone in the industry. You can't you can't say otherwise. It's tr- it's just factual truth, right? And if they can't have figured it out after this much time in terms of how to create systems that have no vulnerabilities, right? Like uh, why would we expect other people to do it who are not anywhere near that invested, right? Um, I don't think that's how it works. Honestly, I don't think that's how it works. So, Since we're, uh, since we're getting closer towards that hour, I did want to shift um, real quickly into another question that I feel like uh, would be helpful to our to our more junior audience members, which is, um, all right, let's say I'm trying to get into consulting, right? And I'm a very inexperienced person. Let's say maybe even I just, I'm straight out of college or I'm in college or whatever, like within a year out of college, somewhere in that time frame. Like, how do I, if I want to be a consultant, what's the, what's, what are some paths I can take to, you know, to do that? Man, you asked me this with three minutes left to the I hour. know. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Uh, you know, the answer, of course, is 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 complicated, right? I think that uh, for one, you're getting into a great industry because it's not going away anytime soon and it's booming and we need people to come in and help, right? That's that's the problem, right? Um, so congratulations, you made a great decision. I, I love what we do, it's awesome. I think it's a great place to play in. How you get into the industry, I think the, the, it goes back to checklists and why I don't like them. It depends so much on who you are and where you've come from. That's going to define what the next best step is forward to do it. My path is different than some other people's and then not so different than a handful. I mean, I did something else for 10 years, right? I did software engineering at the highest level and consulted at large enterprise scale software implementations and then I converted over when I felt like I had a technical base and there was an opportunity for me to do it right yeah weren't you a Microsoft MVP before ever doing security Mm -hmm. yeah actually I was one of the first uh, Azure MVPs in the world I was one of like 20 when they first came out with the Azure MVP I had been implementing like a large-scale proctoring system and Azure was perfect for it because you could spin up and spin down demand as quickly as you needed it because proctoring for online test taking and stuff is perfectly using that, right? It's a good good use case for it. Um, and so I got my Azure MVP. I ran the Azure MVP, uh, user group for Microsoft for a season here in Phoenix as well. Um, so yeah, I, I love software and I, I love that. And I think that while I would, I would have a bias towards that and I tell you that's what you should do too because look, it worked out, right? I also don't think that the industry can afford for you to wait 10 years to come work here either, right? I think we've got to find that middle ground. Um, I think that vulnerabilities, and there are certain types of pen testing that topically speaking are gonna get you faster in the door than other things because they're easier to teach 
at a certain level, right? There's sort of like this, this, this tip of the iceberg that we can get you into that's still providing value. And then we can work with you to help you build the bottom of the iceberg afterwards, right? It's easier depending on where you come from. If you came from academia and your degree is in uh, software engineering, that time to bridge the gap of like how vulnerabilities work and why they're problems and what, what you have to do and how to find them is much faster than someone who doesn't have that tech background to do it. That's absolutely for sure. Um, if you don't have that tech background, then the question is going to be, how can I teach you about some vulnerabilities that are easy to identify and don't require you to know everything about the back end piece of it to manage it too, right? And I think there's there's opportunities in that. Um, how do you get a job in the industry? That's that's a whole other question, right? Like, you know, you should be doing CTFs, you should be writing code on GitHub, you should be reading all the latest blogs, you should go to all the conferences you can. Because when I'm talking to people who I want to bring in, I want to see folks who have a passion and the proof of that passion that they're chasing after this as hard as they can, right? That's what I'm interested in with more junior candidates. I, I want I want that technical background if I can get the technical background, but I, more than that, I want someone who can prove to me that they've taken the steps to try to be great at this because that's what it's going to take. I killed myself to get this job. I killed myself to become a software engineer, right? And And that's the passion that, that comes along with it is my first expectation, right? I don't want anything less than that. I don't know if it helps. At the beginning, you gave me like four minutes. There's I mean, be more to that. To yeah, no, no, no. I'm sure there's there, there's more to that. I mean, it's not exactly fair because I didn't, I didn't, for what it's worth, Andrew wasn't prepped on that that question at all. And we don't prep for any questions, questions. Yeah. for any of these. So it's all just off the cuff, but. Um, I think that's that's reasonable. I mean, I, I, in the sense that, you know, um, uh, doing something, I guess for me, it's showing that, yeah, it's something, it shows that you actually, whatever whatever you do that shows that you actually enjoy doing this as a, as a career certainly helps. Um, mm -hmm. I'm not looking for, you know, someone to do 100 hours of whatever, but, you know, a week, but like, somebody who does you know some something extra that that's always gonna that's always gonna stand out it's always gonna be like a big piece of your resume where you see like oh this person you know they went to their local b-sides and participated in xyz and networked with so-and-so group out of wherever you know that stuff definitely definitely adds up and is something people look at i um, think I think the industry is going to have to change too. I think that's the other half of the equation, right? I, I don't think that I should or could reasonably expect guys to come in with the 10 years or guys or girls to come in with the 10 years of experience anymore and then just suddenly have decided they want to do pen testing, right? I think the better play is to figure out how to structure time on engagements in ways that you can functionally leverage people and train them in topical areas that then allow them to provide great value, right? Like, I say this all the time. This is why, you know, four minutes, we're already going over, but um, um, it's all the time. time. It's, it's your schedule that's more. Yeah, no, it's okay. Uh, I say this all the time to my guys. Like, if you look at China and these adversaries in, in you know, Russia or whatever that have nation state stuff, do you think they don't have resource constraints too? Right? Do you think that they don't have the same talent problem that we have? Right? And I think what they've done is they've taken a better approach to how to leverage 
talent where I'd argue that they probably only employ, you know, let's say three or four really, really, really smart guys who are finding new vulnerabilities and demonstrating what they are and coming up with the how to breach it. They got a handful of middle tier talent guys who are probably your breach system that's going to do the exfiltration that understand the vulnerabilities that those guys have so they can go execute on them. And then I think they employ a massive amount of people who go after the signatures for the vulnerability that the really smart guys do. And they just say, go hit the entire internet and tell me everybody who has this problem. Right. And, and if you think about how they do resourcing, right, like that's gotta be it, right? How it's not that they have better people than us. That's not, that's not the case. I think we have some of the best people in the world, if not the best people in the world. I think that our industry shapes adversarial thinking just as much as their uh, attacks and what they're doing shapes the way that we look at it, right? So what are they doing different? And I think what one of the things that they've done different is they restructure and they've reshaped how they do business in a way to prov provide the most maximum value to people. Now, granted, that's a different case, right? Because their audience is everybody and legality is a whole other, you know, questionable piece of it, right? And I can't necessarily compete at that level, but couldn't I take people in and train them on how to do topical areas of pen testing and become excellent at that? And once they're excellent at them, graduate them from one piece to the next? Absolutely, I could do that. For sure, I could do that. And would that be a better way to get someone graduated in? I think that's the answer. I think that's, of course, the answer. So... Yeah, I mean, it's definitely there's definitely two sides to that. Where um, I, I like the, the the fact that you're pointing out um, some piece of that belongs to the folks that have hired more junior folks, because um, you, I mean, certainly, like I've seen uh, environments where the expectations like, well, you'll just get up to speed on your own because you know yeah. we expect you to be smart, and here's a here's a book or two. Um, doesn't surprise, doesn't work out well. I mean, for some people they can certainly do that. Sure. But, um, then there's the other stuff that we talked about with soft skills and like being handheld through that and like how to deal with potentially difficult customers or get communication, correct, you know, commute, be accurate in your communication, um, report writing, correct way to write reports. Like there's certainly a lot of different aspects that go into being, specifically a good consultant and, and that shouldn't you want somebody who's motivated to do the legwork but you also ha have as part of that contract the um requirement of yourself to then set them up for success through trip functional training so um yeah like if you're hiring junior people don't think you should just hand them a not you andrew people listening if you're hiring junior folks you you absolutely are responsible for a bit of hand-holding, uh, please don't think otherwise. Seth, did you have anything to add to that? Yeah, I, like I go back and forth on that, like, cause we've had mixed success with it, right? Um, mm -hmm. Both like yeah. inside of a company and like, I, I feel like it was easier embedded in a company than it was as a consultant. Cause a consult yeah. as a consultant, it's very hard to represent Hey, you know, we're this expert level boutique and we're, you know, we're going to find all these vulnerabilities. Um, and, but we're going to put the guy that's straight out of college that's, you know, basically has next to no experience on that, on that engagement. Right. Um, 
but, but I, I think there's ways that you can structure it with, you know, more senior consultants that people that have like the expertise and use them to do kind of the grunt work, right? There's definitely ways to get around it, but it's also a very, like when margins are so thin and you're just working as a consultant in this, like in this space, it's like having someone that actually has that drive has been the hard thing, right? has been like, hey, we get people on board that are interested in security, but they're not really interested in security, right? Like it's, hey, this would be a fun thing, but it's not something that they're going to go and dig into and necessarily take over um, and, you know, become one of the senior or the premier people in that industry. So it, it's been hard to graduate them from a junior role to just even like a, a mid-level role because they don't have that, that, drive on the back end to actually make that jump themselves. They want you as a company to push them through that. And that's where we haven't had as much success with that. It's like, if it takes one of our senior guys four times as long to complete an assessment because they are trying to pull these people along with them and explain everything as they go. And, you know, all of a sudden the margins look really bad and we're like, yeah. So it's been easier inside of an org. Yeah. Can I, I think you know exactly like, what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. And I do feel like you end up working with the same women, the same men over and over again because you find the people that meet that that bar, that criteria, and then you sort of just latch on because because they're yeah, it it it's not a huge amount of people that can do all aspects of this job and do it well and show up every day and, you know, be dependable. Um, and so that unfortunately does lead to a situation where it is more common to, again, seek out the same women and men uh, to work with, you know, it just happens. Right. So, uh, but that limits other people a bit at times, right. You know, you're taking away a slot that was open um, for somebody that is a known, that is known to be good at the, their job. So it's, it, it's, yeah, it's like this, it's a weird, it's a weird industry, but I don't think it's exclusive to us. I think there's definitely like more niche industries where this has to be a thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We, we invest a lot in people. Honestly, we have to, I think that's, I think that's the first statement, right? We try to structure the engagements in such a way Again, going back to positional advantage, I believe that's Andrew's strategy for most things in life, right? And I don't like putting people in positions where it's almost uh, a crapshoot in terms of whether or not it's going to be a success or not, right? Because you yeah. could put a guy out there or girl who just graduated and they do an awesome knockup job, but you can't rely on it, right? And I'm not, I'm really what I'm betting is the client at that point, and I tried not to do that. You know, so in most cases, what we'll do is we have them pair up with people for the beginning part of their career with the expectation that when they're on engagement, they're, they're not really alone, right? Can we deliver it perfectly like that all the time? No. Is that what we try to do most of the time? Absolutely. And I think in that sense, we're more successful in it than, than others because we made the intentional piece on it. We send people to training multiple times a year. We bring in people multiple times a year. We have training budgets so they can go after it. And we highly encourage them. We actually give them uh, ideas and options on how to go spend it to become better based on observations on their performance in terms of like, A, what they're interested in, B, what they need to know to be successful and how to help them bridge that gap on it. 
Um, we're putting together internal training programs for like a university as it speaks right now. Like that thing's about to be kind of a live part of it to kind of grow people through that process. Um, all for the sake of creating consistent delivery that people can rely on the results of, right? Because I, you know, I sell, I sell the security testing, but really what I, I sell is trust. And if you can't trust that the person who's out there with you is going to do the job correctly, that's on me, right? That's on, that's entirely on me. And that's why I think the industry has to change a little bit too, because how we structure it in ways to sort of not necessarily hedge our bets, but in ways which we grow talent and curate it and help people get better and work through this process. Like I said, it can't be the expectation of uh, go somewhere else for 10 years and then come talk to me, which, which I've heard in the past and in the past I kind of believed it because that's my story. Right. Um, right. I don't think that's a luxury we can afford anymore. I don't think that's the reality of the demand and what needs to happen. So industry is going to have to address this differently. We're going to have to look at the problem a different way. True. Nice. No, I mean, I could sit here and ask you questions for three hours, Andrew, like you're what I, one thing I always enjoy when we talk is you're, you have typically a different perspective than I do. And it's usually like, very enlightening to have a conversation and see, you know, different side of things. And uh, so I always appreciate when you're willing to uh, spend time and, and, and um, for the, for those of you who don't know, Andrew's a great guy. Like he, when I was down there uh, last year thinking about moving to Phoenix and he like brought me ar around with his family to, 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 to do house hunting and like, well, to find like the right area to live. So uh, Andrew's always been like that. He's, he's a great person. Um, if if people want to reach out to you, I mean, certainly we've got your, I'll put your link up here on uh, for your Twitter account, which is AZ Wilson G, but I'll put it, I'll put it here on the, uh, on our live chat. Um, are you going to be in any conferences besides CactusCon or any places that people can catch up with you? Uh, that's a great question. I don't know. Uh, for this this year, I know that I'm planning on doing a little bit more. I'd like to go to at least one more conference this year. Let's start there. I just don't know which one yet. Um, I went to a couple more conferences this year than I typically have in the past. I'm trying to kind of get out there and see. So maybe if people are listening and they have suggestions about where I should go, I'm um, willing to listen. I asked for advice. I just don't know what conferences there are really just other than kind of the staples, if you will. I'd rather try something a little different and see what other people have been up to because that, that matters to me. So um, maybe we'll go that way with it. But yeah, any questions uh, about anything we've talked about? I'm sure I misspoke several times on a variety of things and Twitter will tell me. So if you have questions or abuse, you can you can do it. One time I upset China really bad on Twitter, so i got to be real careful with those things. Um, really? All of China? <laughs> all of China. So um, I think it was Stefan Esser was talking about um, Team Pangu and how they were like taking some of his vulnerabilities and things. And I made a comment just very kind of glib. I don't I didn't know this at the time, but um, the word Pangu in Korean means to fart. So I thought it was funny that they were calling themselves like Team Fart, whatever. Right. And I explained it to him. And here's the thing, uh, in Chinese, it does not mean to fart, by the way. It's uh, basically like their version of Jesus Christ. And so I woke up in the morning and I had like, I think, 1,400 Twitter responses telling me I was an idiot who know nothing about anything. And I was like, oh, my God, like, <laughs> if one, don't be mad at me, be mad at the Chinese or the Koreans. That's not, that's not my language. But like, 
yeah, no, I got, I'm trying to be better with Twitter because stuff like that happens. I didn't mean to upset so many people. So, yeah, I mean, some people just like to be upset though. Like instead of just being like, oh, Hey, just so you know, that's what this means. That's the proper response in my opinion, rather than just like fucking outrage. Like <laughs> what everybody just goes right to anymore. Um, mm. But anyways, like, don't feel bad, man. Everybody makes mistakes, but I know your intentions and I know who you are. You're a super nice guy. So everybody be nice to Andrew. Yes. And go to Cactus Con. I think the CFP is open right now, isn't it? The CFP, the CFP is open. Uh, we still have some room for more sponsors, uh, but the CFP is still open. We try to get more workshops than talks. So if you have a workshop or something you want to do that's more hands-on, my experience is that's far more beneficial than than a talk. Honestly, I try to grow. We're trying to grow the community. That's my my primary purpose. I think talks are good to kind of navigate people to ideas, um, but I think workshops really put your your hands and your brain and your heart into it, and I think you can really take something out of that more so than a talk a lot of times. Yeah. So um, if you have workshops you want to bring to us, I love it. If you have an idea for like a, a village of some sort. Um, I was just telling my wife, I, I really wanted to do this year, like an anarchist cookbook village where we like bought Ooh. vending machines and they uh, like, okay. like <laughs> vending machines and stuff or uh, some of the phone freaking. We're not going to make exploding tennis balls, but I did. I do like that one. That one's a good one. So um, not everything from the anarchist cookbook, but if you guys have ideas and stuff you want to do, we're interested. We want it to be fun and have people get value out of it. So cool. Yeah, good. Yeah, absolutely. And you well, really should check out Cactus Con if you're down in the, like that West yeah. Coast South. Yeah, if you're, in, if you're in the region, it's one of the best ones, right? Mm -hmm. So we really, love yeah, it. We, we appreciate you running it. And it's, yeah, it's been a great, great one. I, you know, being in Salt Lake City, it's one that I, I, I try to get down to every year. So you guys have kept it at the right size. It still feels like a hobbyist conference, not, and not like an overly, you know, commercialized one. It's still very much, it's, it's, it's very much a, like a true hacker conference. And I love it for that vibe. Yeah. We're trying to keep it there, right? Like we designed it based off of really the first DEF CON I ever went to, which was about three or 4,000 people. And, and, and like in conjunction with one of the original B-Sides events. Right. And so I want it to be a vendor neutral place. I want people to have high quality talks. I want it to be free as long as we can make it free. It's still free. Um, and it's been free for what, eight years now. I think we're on eighth year. Um, we, it, it matters how we sell it. And I think at some point we're just going to have to cap registration too. I don't want it to get much bigger when we lose sight of that. I don't know if we're at that perfect number yet where it's like, it's too big but I think we're kind of getting close to the point where it's not accomplishing what we were hoping and we'll have to figure out a new, new approach to like attendance and how it's going to work and stuff. So, yeah, yeah, we're done being big. doesn't mean much. I want it to be useful. So yeah. Quality, cool. not quantity. Yep. Well, good. Well, yeah, we've been going for a while, so yeah, we'll go ahead and cut it for today. Um, but again, Andrew, we appreciate you coming on, taking the time out of your schedule and, you know, just talking with us on all the things. So if you need a good consultancy, check out Bishop Fox. Yeah. I'll give a shout out since Andrew gave us his time. That's the least I can do is, uh, is, is mention that. Um, but yeah, I thank you for your time, Andrew. Seriously. I know you're a busy person. So really do appreciate like you setting aside this time to answer questions. 
thank you guys for having me. Sorry it took a little bit of time to get it set up, but uh, love to chat more anytime you guys have it. So we'll do. Yeah, yeah. We, I think yeah, we'd appreciate coming back on sometime. So great, awesome, cool. Well, I'm gonna go ahead and uh, end the broadcast. Uh, if I can say the word broadcast. Thanks everybody who listened. Thank you, Seth. Thank you, Andrew. And uh, bye.